You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Psalms. Here's Nate. Well, for me, being a father has been one of the absolute greatest joys of my life. To be able to be a parent, to be a father, to, with my bride, raise our children has been an incredible experience. And part of what I'm so thankful for is what it has produced in me, what it's done in my own heart and and my own life. I think that the Lord has used my children to shape my character, to make me more patient, uh, gentle, loving, kind. The fruits of the Spirit that are my you know, heritage in Christ, the will of God for my life, have become more prevalent, I think, in large part as a result of walking with the Lord with the children that God has given to me. Obviously, you can refuse the sanctification process in your life, even if you do have children. But if you're trying to walk on that uh, path that the Lord has for you to live that pilgrim life, If you have children, they can help you and strengthen you to become uh, all or more of what Christ wants you to be. Here in Psalm 127, which is, of course, a pilgrim song, a, a song of ascents, a song that Israel would sing on their journeys to Jerusalem three times each year for the worship of God. Here it appears that the pilgrim has now looked back from Jerusalem. You know, the reality is that their time there in Jerusalem would only be a small percentage of their calendar year. And most of their lives would be spent at work or in the home. And so the pilgrim looks back from Jerusalem here to his work and to his home and his thoughts now from the temple and from God's city begin to be replaced with God's thoughts. He begins to see, perhaps for the very first time, his work and his home as God sees them. So for us, you know, we want the house of God to impact our house. We don't want to just be Sunday Christians or uh, sermon-consuming Christians. No, we want our Christianity to impact our work, to impact our family, and Psalm 127 helps us to uh, that end degree. Now, I believe that every modern pilgrim, every disciple, Christ follower, every narrow gate and hard way traveler, whether single or married or with children or without children, knows that there are lessons which impact the home that are important to learn for uh, all the other areas of life. So, You know, even if you approach Psalm 127 without a marriage or without a family, you need to understand that the earthly marriage and earthly family are mere shadows of the spiritual marriage and the spiritual family that we have uh, in Christ. The first thing that we learn in this psalm is that we must look to God for our help. He says in verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, uh, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord 
watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, twice we have the phrase, unless the Lord, unless the Lord. And the author uses that phrase in two unique places. Uh, Unless the Lord is building the house, those who build it labor in vain. So the idea is of those who are working construction, building a house. And if Solomon is genuinely the author of this psalm, then he knew a thing or two about literal house building. And the concept is, look, you can plan, you can budget, you can purchase, you can work, you can labor, but your labor will be in vain in building the house unless the Lord is involved. Now, and then also he refers to the watchman, the the second thing, unless the Lord watches over the city. Here you have the idea of a watchman, you know, staying awake at nighttime, looking out to make sure that there are no surprise attacks that come upon the town. And what he's saying is, you know, unless the Lord is also watching, then the watchman is awake in vain. So the idea here is that builders can build, watchmen can watch, but without God's involvement, their efforts are futile. In other words, we need God's help. We need God's involvement. In our homes and in our workplaces, we need the direction, the help, the strength of God. And it's important in the pilgrim life to believe this, to believe that my family and my work will and cannot be successful except by the grace of God, that I need the involvement and the help of God. It's not that I won't labor to build the home. I will. And it's not that I won't labor to stay awake as a watchman. I will. Uh, I'll do my job. I'll lead my family. I'll, I'll do the very things that I'm called to do. However, I understand in the doing that the Lord must help me in the process. And the question, of course, is do you believe this? Do you believe places like Proverbs 16, 9, where it says that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps? You know, do you believe that? Do you believe that as a disciple, there you are planning your way, you have your thoughts, your dreams, your visions, your purposes, but that there is a God above it all who is establishing your steps, who is who is leading your life, who will bring that interview or that opportunity into your life right at the right moment or that child into your life or that relationship into your life right at the right moment. Do you believe that? Or Proverbs 21, verse 31, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can work and prepare and make the horse ready for the day of battle, but that ultimately victory comes from God, that that success comes from the Lord? Or do you believe 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7, where Paul said, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Do you believe that behind or in the ministry, that behind all of it, as you're planting or you're watering, Do you believe that actually behind it all, there is a God who is giving the real and the legitimate growth? If we believe this, 
then we will understand that we must allow God to be involved in our planning, our schooling, our parenting, our career decisions. You know, some questions that we might ask ourselves is, are questions like, do I believe my work and my home will fall apart unless I hold it all together? Or do I emphasize my importance or do I overemphasize my importance in the success of my work and my family? Do I underemphasize God's importance and power in my work and home? Do I believe my children will fall apart if I'm not the perfect parent? Do I believe God gets into the hearts of kids who've had terrible families? Is my work and family experience filled with fear of failure? No, we want to realize that God must be at the center of our work, being a watchman, and our family, building the house. So, you know, this first portion is just an understanding that we need the help of God. And I want to ask you, if you are a family person, to allow God to be at the center of your work, to allow God to be at the center of your family. Are you married? Pray with your spouse. Do you have children? Lead them in the word of God. And in your relationships, commit to a local church. Let God be the centerpiece of your work and family. Your family is not to be the center. God is to be the center. Now, we learn also in verse 2, he says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So in verse 1, he spoke of vanity. And here he talks about something else that is vain. And what it is, is the, you know, working so hard, getting up early, going to bed late, and eating the bread of anxious toil. He announces that is vanity. What I think he's pointing to here is a life of balance or a life of health. We need this also. We need the help of God, but we need also the balance or the health of God. You know, our culture today is a culture of extremes. You know, work and provision, it's part of the fallenness of humanity. It's one of the, the pains of life. God said in Genesis chapter 3 that the ground would be cursed and that in pain we would eat of it all the days of our lives and by the sweat of our face faces we would eat bread. But in response to that, there are extremes. Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, pointed out two biblical cities as illustrations for these extremes. The first city is the city of Babel. It was there in Genesis chapter 11 that the people in Babel said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They collectively worked together so hard to build a technology that they thought would lead to their unity and their safety and their security forever. This was not healthy or hard work. This was anxious toil. And on one side of the extreme, we have that in our modern culture. People who are working so hard, they are a slave 
to the very career that they've chosen. But then on the other side of things, a second city that he pointed out was the city of Thessalonica, because in First and Second Thessalonians, Paul had to address some lazy believers in the body of Christ there in Thessalonica. Believers who were Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six, walking in idleness, and who were not willing to work, and who were living as busybodies. And what Paul said is that, look, we were there, we gave you a new tradition, that with toil and labor, we work night and day. And if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat and let them learn to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So on the other side of things, there were those who were living an idle, busybody kind of life. And the Christian understands that there is a balance between these two extremes. That not only are we a people who are slaves to our work, who voluntarily enslave ourselves to advancement and, you know, our careers and our businesses. But on the other hand, we aren't a people who are lazy and idle. We are a hardworking, disciplined people who also know how to put work in its proper place. We do not take a living. We earn a living. So for Christians, we live in a third way. We work hard, but with God and his balance in our lives. That's why he says in verse 2 that he gives to his beloved sleep. What that indicates is that God gives to us as his people, he gives us rest. You know, sleep is an aid to our trust in God because it's as if we're saying to God, look, I can't do this all in my own strength. I need rest. I, I have to recharge. And God, I need you to, you know, take what I've done, my preparation, the horse being prepared for battle, and I need you to now give to me the victory. And we must remember that our God is a God who gives rest. We must remember in Genesis chapter 2 that God, after working for six days of creation, that he rested from his work on the seventh day. And it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we have to remember that, that God gives us Sabbath from work. God worked, Adam worked, work is pure, work is good, but we need to be able to rest from it. Now, I believe that there's a difference between rest and leisure or rest and play. There are some versions of play or leisure that leave you exhausted when you're through with them. And they're fine and good in their place, but they're not restorative. Rest is a building up of your strength. And I wonder if we might be able to be a people who, for an hour each day and for a day each week, are able to just stop and be before the Lord to rest, to read, to laugh, to eat, to be with each other, 
to, uh, you know, kind of get away from it all and just recharge our batteries. You know, the reality is in our technological age, we have to work very hard at this because our technologies can follow us around all the time and can distract us, but also enslave us to our work. And so here, what he's saying is, look, no, the Lord, he gives his people sleep. There's a balance uh, that exists. So for Christians, we have to receive this balance into our lives. We're not to be a people who escape into our work. We're to see our work not as something to be worshipped, but as worship itself. We're doing it unto the Lord. And we should cultivate a lifestyle that has balance and rest inside of it. So there in the first two verses of the psalm, we've learned about a lifestyle that, of course, has work inside of it, building the house, watching the city, and, you know, uh, rising early and going to bed late, but not in an anxious toil kind of way, because God must be involved. And that takes us into this beautiful example of that in verse 3. You know, speaking of a balance between human effort and God's power, consider having children. You know, there, it's like, of course, there's some human effort. There's a husband and a wife. There's the act of sex and a pregnancy, you know, comes. There's human involvement, but it is God who behind it all has given their bodies a certain design whereby a pregnancy can take place. So here now we learn about the family. And he tells us that children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. So not only are we to, you know, receive God's balance upon our lives, his health upon our lives, and not only do we need God's help and we have to recognize that in life, but here we have to appreciate children. We have to appreciate family. We have to appreciate God's uh, heritage. They, they, he cried out and said, children are a heritage and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Now, because we live in a fallen world, I should say this, believers expect that many of us will not be able to have children um, due to physical limitations, including infertility, miscarriages, unexpected or excuse me undesirable you know slips out of the childbearing years so age all of these things might keep us from being able to have children so we would expect in a fallen world that that would happen that there are broken dreams and desires that god has instilled inside of us as human beings but are yet unfulfilled on this side of eternity and so we would expect that but we are to see here that the parent-child relationship, we're to see it as one of the more rewarding relationships of life. Here he calls them a heritage and a reward. Now in ancient times, of course, children were a blessing in different kinds of ways than they are today in that they replenished the population. 
which was helpful in times where disease and war and famine would sometimes wreak havoc upon the population of a country. And they also operated as a retirement of sorts as they eventually cared for their parents until death and then also were you know, financially helpful to the family because they could serve as a new set of hands to be able to work in the family business. But on to, on, uh, besides all of that, modern Christians in industrialized, modernized settings and countries still must see children as a heritage and a reward from the Lord. I think part of the reason why they, they are a heritage and a reward, if we think about them, here are a few reasons why they're such a blessing. First of all, they are a ministry. You know, when you think about children, you know, you're thinking about making disciples. Jesus told us to go into all the world and to make disciples. And of course, parents are not to stop doing the work of disciple making in uh, their community or in their local church. They're not to set aside the church ministry for home or family ministry, but their home or family ministry is great practice for their church and community ministry. Pastors are an example of this in that, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 and 5, they must know how to manage their own household well. So there has to be a vantage point that children are a ministry. You know that you are in the process of making disciples right there within your home. Secondarily, they also help with sanctification. You know, if you got married, you probably discovered pretty quickly that your spouse was helping you in the sanctification process. They were helping you become different, helping you to grow. This is one of the reasons why God has designed marriage to take place between male and female, because uh, we aren't to remain the same. We are to change. We're to grow. We're to be different. And so children also help with that sanctification process. If we came into parenting as selfish people, well, you know, as you're growing or walking with Christ, children will help nudge you in the direction of self selflessness. Uh, did you come to having children with a streak of laziness? Well, if you're walking with the Lord, then children will be a nudge for you in the direction of a harder work ethic, a stronger work ethic. Were you a person who did not know how to pray or refused to really cry out to the Lord? Well, when you have children, if you're walking with the Lord, your prayer life is going to grow because you're going to be seeking God for wisdom and his security for your children, his blessing upon their lives. So they're a ministry and they help with sanctification but also they make you more fruitful. And what I mean by that is that for me, when I began to have children, you know, I was serving the Lord. I was wanting to bring fruit to him. I was wanting to share my faith and teach the Bible and serve my local church. But I was kind of a mile wide and an inch deep. I would do anything and everything. But as I've had children and as I've grown over the years, the commitment to my family has forced and required me to become a more focused individual. 
it used to be that every invitation that I got to do any kind of ministry at all, I would say, oh yeah, definitely, I'll be there, I'll do it. But with children, I have to actually ask the question, you know, what has God called me to do? Because I can't leave my family for as much as I, you know, would have if I just stuck with the same patterns and rhythms in ministry that I used to operate with. So children will make you more fruitful by giving you focus. They'll also, I think, make you more fruitful by giving you more compassion. You know, just to, as you're watching the human experience and the, the human struggle right before your own eyes as a parent, it gives you compassion. You start seeing a different, you know, kind of people. That there, There's all different types of people out there in the world. And, and you start seeing that in your own family, that the children that came from the same two parents are so wildly diverse and different. And they think they give you more fruit because, or make you more fruitful because they also grow your wisdom. You just become a person who has a, a more, uh, more depth to you as you gain the experience of raising children. So, you know, to see them in that kind of way, I think is important, especially in this new age that we're living in, where for the first time in human history, we're asking, people are asking questions like, do I want to have children? Before, it used to be that if you asked that question, you were also asking, do I want to be married? Do I want to have sex? But now we live in an era where people through birth control and things like that might actually ask the question in a married relationship, do I feel called to have children? And I think it's important for us to see that God sees children as a blessing and the Bible has always seen children as a natural result of a marriage. Now, lastly, in our text, our fourth thing, you know, we're to, number one, we're to see that we need God's help. Number two, we're to see that we need God's health or balance in our lives. Number three, we're to appreciate God's heritage but here, number four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The last thing I wanted to say from this psalm is that we should envision God's heroes. The allegory or analogy is that they are like arrows. Children are. And arrows, of course, are projectile weapons in that they are launched out. We are launching, launching our children out. And so that helps inform our parenting. We are constantly to have a perspective that I am trying to prepare this person for life without me. And then a projectile weapon accomplishes purposes far from us. You know, we launch them out so that they can do something away from us. And, of course, a projectile weapon is not designed to come back. You send it out, you let it go, and it is not to return to live in your basement. And then finally, they are to be prepared for that flight. So let us be a people who prepare our children. We got to teach them grace and obedience, be a weapon ourselves. And the idea here is that he goes on to say, 
you know, you fill your quiver with them and that man will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The idea here is that these sons would be able to protect their father in his declining years, uh, perhaps even in legal matters that would unfold in the gate of the city. And this is kind of their version of social security and retirement. So the arrows do return, but in a good way. And so for older parents, we should have faith and be selfless and, you know, trust the Lord with our grown adult children. And for adult children, we should be selfless towards our parents and have faith that God is working in their lives. So hopefully as you continue on in this pilgrimage, your vision of work and family will become more and more God's vision of work and family. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.